have tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Yes, we are the Geek's Watch, and we are here to keep you safe from everything that is not geeky. So we will only let in the geek if you allow us. John, how was uh, your week so far? Um, you know, I learned that I can survive off three hours of sleep nightly, <laughs> but it's not a life worth living. No, I mean, it, it's surviving. It's not living, just like they say in <laughs> The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, then I, I hope that we can get through this uh, without you falling asleep on us. So let's uh, let's see how we do. Uh, we are all right. <laughs> we are continuing our uh, watching of the MCU that could have been basically, you know, the Marvel movies that came out before the modern Marvel Studios that we now know and love, and uh, through the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Last week we talked about uh, the Doctor Strange movie from the seventies and the Captain America movie from nineteen ninety. This week we'll be talking about. The Punisher from 1989, and the made-for-TV pilot movie, uh, Generation X, that uh, came out in 1996. And, wow, I'm going to say this right now, it's not as bad as Doctor Strange, but, man, was it bad. (laughs) So, uh, let's go ahead and get out some news. And I have a little bit of thing that I want to talk about other than news, and then we'll get right into our movies. But go ahead, John. Let's see what you had this week. All right. So my man crush, Joe Manganiello, is officially <laughs> confirmed for Deathstroke. Which so is very awesome. excited about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, last time we were wondering, well, like, you know, Ron Perlman could be good, but so could Joe. And now that it's, it is him, I'm like, I'm, I'm cool with that. That works. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think he's a good actor, and I think he, I think he's a funny actor, which is I think is 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 incredible. I, I doubt they'll use a lot of his comedy in the movie because Deathstroke's <laughs> a pretty serious character. But you know, when you when you cut a little bit of comedy with serious, it usually works out. You know. Yeah, you you put a, an actor that's known for one thing and juxtapose them and you can be surprised uh, i learned that with robin williams in one hour photo i was like jesus that's crazy <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty creepy <laughs> yeah so now we know uh as far as joe manganello's character in uh magic mike known as a uh, big d richie i guess the d stands for deathstroke <laughs> there you go <laughs> okay 
Uh, well, I'm excited for that. I mean, uh, obviously, the, he's going to be a big part of uh, the Batman with Ben Affleck, and uh, maybe even the further Justice League movies. Yeah, I, I really hope it's not a one-off, and he gets like killed off or something. I'm you know, that, like having. Yeah, that's uh, you know one of the unfortunate thing with a lot of superhero movies is that the the villain usually gets killed off. You don't get to see him again late until you know much later, but. Uh, you know, these franchises are huge and they're, they're expecting them to go on for a very long time. So hopefully they decide to keep them around. Yep. Yep. And, uh, continuing in the superhero related genre of cinema, uh, Billy Crudup, better known as, uh, Dr. Manhattan, among other movies, and he's a good actor as well, right. is in talks to play Henry Allen also known as the father of uh, Barry Allen, in the Flash movie. Very interesting. Yes. This would make it the second former Watchman to now play the father of a DCU hero, uh, following in the footsteps of uh, Dr. – not Dr. Manhattan. Uh, you com- know his name. The comedian played by – The comedian. Uh, by Negan. I forget what his name is right yes. now. Harry Dean Morgan? Yes. Something like that. I was gonna say Harry Dean Stanton, but I think that's way wrong. Yeah, it's a different person. Uh, Harry, yeah, so, no, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean. Morgan. Yeah, it's like Harry that's Dean right. doesn't sound right. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Wait, aren't Harry and Dean like the guys from Supernatural? No, it's Sam and Dean. Sam and Dean. Which is funny because wow. Jeffrey Dean Morgan played Sam and Dean's dad in Supernatural. <laughs> there we go. That's where the connection was. <laughs> See, it all makes sense in my brain. It just doesn't quite come out right. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that's actually a, a theme they continue, where Zack Snyder keeps pulling from Watchmen to play, like, the Fuck. older parental figures of the new generation. So Patrick Wilson is going to be the dad of... Uh, Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman. Okay, I like it. He'll be the guy who runs the lighthouse. Ar- the original Arthur Curry. I like it. That's pretty yeah, awesome. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he doesn't look anything like Jason Momoa, though. <laughs> well, obviously he's going to get more from his mom's side. Fair enough. Because, you know, actually, the big a big thing about... Aquaman and his uh, his lineage or his uh, his mythos, however you want to say it, is that uh, he was he had blonde hair, and you know that that came from his father, uh, from the earth, earth dweller or the earth surface dweller that was uh, that he had blonde hair, and that was why he was excommunicated from Atlantis because uh, blonde hair doesn't happen to Atlanteans, so it was very important that he had blonde hair. But now we've gone with Jason Momoa, so. I don't know why, you know, what that means or anything, but <laughs> uh, it's interesting that they got rid of that part. Or uh, if not Patrick Wilson, it could be uh, Ozymandias. Oh, uh, Matthew Good. Yes, that guy. Yeah, that, that either guy. one. Yeah, that, either one. That'd be great. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, so... Be very interesting to see Billy Crudup in there. I, I really like him as an actor. I thought he was really awesome in uh, what was it uh, that Cameron Crowe movie where he plays a musician, guitar player, almost famous. Oh yeah, that's right, almost famous. Yeah, I thought it was really cool in that role as well. And uh, continuing in superhero ness, uh, Ryan Potter, uh, also known as the voice of Hero in Big Hero Six recently released a little fight demo that he made specifically for Ben Affleck to showcase his martial arts skills. 
it's uh it's about a minute long you know he does some some fighting with the bow staff and then some some mixed martial arts it looks like then uh looks dead at the camera and says uh hey ben just like tim said you know batman needs a robin and this of course being a reference to tim drake uh i believe this was the third robin in the lineage yeah of robins yeah i mean if you don't count the the one from Dark Knight Returns. I, I always forget what her name is, but it's the girl with the re- the orange hair or the red hair. Uh, which, you know, Dark Knight Returns isn't part of the actual DC canon. So that's why she's not considered one of the, the Robins in the official line. So yeah, Tim Drake is the third one. At least chronologically speaking, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, he's... Um, he is, you know, addressed the elephant in the room. He is uh, Asian. But, uh, you know, as long as he would do good in the part, I think, you know, that really shouldn't matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, I really don't think it should. And, and why not have, you know, an Asian character in there? I mean, we don't really have too many Asian superheroes out there. I think they're they're coming a little bit more prominent now, but uh, in the comic book era. But, you know, it's uh, it's it would be interesting to have a robin be asian or of asian descent yeah that would be pretty cool and it would kind of give it a, a a slight green hornet feel to me which would be kind of funny you know what i always had a problem with green hornet is that uh brit reed puts on the mask and he's green hornet but his driver kato puts on the mask and he's still kato like he still calls him <laughs> kato he doesn't get a code name or anything. He just, you know, he, he, Green Hornet just calls it, Hey, way to go, Kato! You know, it's like, huh, this guy has a sidekick named Kato. Who else do I know has a chauffeur named Kato? <laughs> would have been better off just calling him a Lee, and at least that way would have helped narrow it down by just a few million people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, what's your next and, story? Because uh, I, I think it would be right, great so, to see Ryan Potter as, as Tim Drake. Yeah, I think it would be kind of cool. And I would also make probably Harry Potter jokes. Like, you know, <laughs> you're a Robin Harry or something. And see, know. and one of my problems, because I, I, love, I love trying to cast uh, actors in, in uh, comic book movies all the time. Like, it's one of my just, like, favorite if I'm sitting at work by myself and have nothing else to do. I'm just thinking of that stuff. But I always have a problem with the younger characters because I don't know young actors. I don't know names of young actors and stuff like that. So you want someone that's going to look like like how Tom Holland is 18, but he looks like he could be 15 and with makeup and the right clothing, you know, that works out. So uh, Ryan Potter, I don't know how old he actually is, but he looks pretty young. So, you know, that could give us a, a boy wonder or teen wonder, if whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you know, I never quite liked the term Boy Wonder, but, I mean, that's from a different time, so... Yeah, it's definitely from a different time. (laughs) Well, I mean, look at the original Robin costume. I mean, you have Batman, who's in this black outfit and covered from head to toe, whereas Robin has a domino mask and bikini briefs and pixie boots, you know? And it's very colorful. I mean, if the bad guys are going to shoot at something, they're going to shoot at the colorful thing instead of the dark thing. Yeah, that's the whole... (laughs) He was supposed to be a human meat shield the whole time with destruction. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously he was the he was supposed to be the reader. He was supposed to be the young boy that picks up the comic book and is like, "Oh, I want to be Batman's sidekick." And hey, look, this guy, this kid is just like me. He has the same problem. So, 
I understand what what you know why it was made back in the day. Obviously, we have come a long way, and you know we give a little bit more respect to younger readers now. Too true. Yes, and uh, well, I mean, if he gets it, cool. If not, I mean, they might not even be considering Robin. This is just him kind of throwing it out there, and it's not the first time this kind of thing has happened. You know, there's actors that kind of lobby for roles like this all the time. Oh, you know, so, one of the most famous ones is uh, what is her name that played uh the the replicant in um in oh uh Sean Young yeah Sean Young went to the audition for Batman Returns as a uh, Catwoman you know she actually went dressed as Catwoman and they were like okay you can leave now now obviously it went to Michelle Pfeiffer you know what's funny about that is that Sean Young was supposed to play Vicky Vale in the original Batman really but she got hurt. Yeah, like during a horse riding scene or something, so they had to recast her with Ken Basinger, and she was. They, and they told her basically, like, "Oh yeah, well, we'll we'll bring you back for something later on." And yeah, so she lost her mind when she didn't get the role of Catwoman. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, she obviously. I mean, obviously, that means she's just a huge fan of Batman, at least the the property. I would think if she wanted the role twice or two different roles. Yeah, and I may be misremembering. Because, again, my brain is mush. But I remember her being on a talk show, something like Sally Jesse Raphael or something, way back in the late 80s, early 90s, where she actually came out on stage also dressed as Catwoman, saying that she really wants to part. Wow. And it was one of the first times in my young adult life remembering that, like, I'm not sure what I'm feeling right now. And later I found out it was called cringe. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, obviously she's had a, a big career, but the first movie I remember seeing her in was Ace Ventura. And, <laughs> I mean, ever since then, I, always, I mean, up until I was actually smart enough or, you know, uh, mature enough, I actually thought she might actually be a dude. <laughs> <laughs> or she had the worst case of hemorrhoids you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you uh, have some more stories? Uh, I just wanted to add one last quick thing to that Sean Young story. If okay. we're talking about the first time we remember seeing her, uh, I remember seeing her in a, a VHS that a friend of mine in high school had called Hexed, where she basically plays an actress that's being blackmailed. It's kind of a dark comedy. And um, it was the closest thing we had to uh, a movie with uh, adult content, let's say. Uh-huh. So we, like, among several friends, that thing was passed around. And I, I, I cannot imagine how many times that video was formative to our development. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. Got it. <laughs> so moving on from that awkwardness, um, the, uh, the Doctor Strange timeline has been revealed. Um, a lot of people... Uh, not anyone I know specifically, but online have have been asking what exactly, where does Doctor Strange fit in into the Marvel U? You know, one of the things they talk about in the trailers is how it takes years of practice and, and discipline to learn the magic arts. And um, in uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, they're already aware of Doctor Strange. So basically, you know, the, people were wondering, well, how exactly does Doctor Strange fit into the MCU timeline? And the official explanation that's come out so far is that it will, the story will begin shortly before the events of Iron Man, after which he's going to go on his pilgrimage to try to, you know, find a 
therapy or cure for his condition, if you want to call it that. Not really a cure, but you know what I mean. Right. And um, so, yeah, so he's actually going to be studying the magic arts for the most part of, like, phase one. And uh, by the time Winter Soldier comes around, he's starting to become known. He might actually already be back in the U.S., uh, you know, because we obviously see in the trailers he's doing something in New York. Um, and uh, so the movie should end sometime after the events of uh, Civil War. Okay. That's, you know, because, I mean, yeah, obviously in Winter Soldier he's um, referenced by, uh, I forget what that the secret Hydra agent guy's name was at this moment, but, uh, you know, that was kind of a big Easter egg and everybody was like, oh, he's in this world. So it's it's interesting to, to know how he's going to fit in and why he, yeah, he didn't show up in Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's probably going to be one of those where he pops up for a minute, then he gets trapped in a different dimension or something, and then he comes back or something. I could see that happening. Yeah. And obviously, and, uh, obviously, I mean, we've seen in the trailer already that he, you know, he's the his brilliant surgeon, and then he gets into the car accident. So you're gonna have, you know, this probably him being a surgeon before Iron Man becomes, or before Tony Stark becomes Iron Man, then he'll get in his car accident, and for those, you know, whatever how many years he'll be uh, just moping around and being sad for himself, and then eventually make his trip to Tibet, and and then it's gonna have to take time to study. Underneath the ancient one, it's not going to be like in this the 1978 it's Doctor Strange where he just learns one incantation and pow, Doctor Strange, he's he's the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, and uh, I'm kind of hoping that uh, that one scene that's teased in the trailer where they gave him the Wi-Fi password, <laughs> that's when he starts like you know going online and seeing the news articles of like oh captain america steve rogers you know found in the antarctica or something and you know just he starts to get caught up little by little thanks to the internet while he's in like you know learning magic so it'd be kind of fun yeah that'd be interesting uh cool anything else uh one last one uh Jim Broadbent, one of my favorite actors. Uh he played Professor Slughorn in Harry Potter mm-hmm. and uh Harold Ziegler in Moulin Rouge. Also one of my favorite performances of his. Has been cast to play a possibly major role in Game of Thrones season 7. Um it's not exactly sure who he's going to be playing yet, but rumor has it he's going to be playing the Archmaester May uh was it Maywin? Okay. Um I'm probably butchering it. Uh, But anyway, so if it's the character that people seem to believe he's going to be, and I have reason to believe it it is because it's like his kind of goofy, jovial nature, it's going to be a maester that still works and lives at the Citadel, but he's kind of not really respected because he likes to focus a lot on the magic arts, which at this point in the story, uh, most people don't believe magic exists anymore. Like it did at one point, but it just kind of died out. And maesters who still practice magic just kind of do it out of tradition, but don't really, you know, believe in it or put a lot of stock in it. And it sounds like this might be a case where this maester kind of bonds with Sam over the, you know, their love of reading and books and magic. And, you know, as magic starts to return to the world, as it has been doing since, like, season one, you know, this could be that self-fulfilling prophecy where... 
Sam has wanted to be a wizard all his life. Interesting. So, like, he obviously he's not excommunicated like uh, Kyburn, uh, the maester that hangs around with Cersei, but he is uh, kind of more like in the forbidden section of the library, like in Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I would I would equate him to being kind of like the Fox Mulder of the FBI, where he still works and is in good standing, but because of what he chooses to focus on, he just kind of has like a rinky-dink little corner in the basement. Cool. Now, interesting that you said that, uh, you know, magic kind of coming back into uh, the world since season one, and now it's kind of, you know, it's pretty powerful now with what's going on in the in the, in the the world after season six. Do you think that's mm-hmm. because of the, the returning of winter? Like, does winter have some type of, like, connection to magic? Well, there's a lot of things that are connected, actually. Uh, they used to say that magic was connected with dragons. So when the last dragon died out about 100 years before the events of you know Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. that's when they said that everything kind of just stopped being quite as powerful. And with the return of dragons, that's even Melisandre was saying, like, my powers have been getting stronger. And the closer she got to the wall, the... It seemed like the more powerful she was saying her powers were getting as well. Which would also uh, correspond with the with the dragons getting bigger. And also with the White Walkers starting to become more powerful or more of a presence as well. Hmm. Uh, White Walkers, although they knew of their existence, they kind of hadn't really been seen for a while. So long, in fact, that people used to think that the wall was just an outdated tradition. Like it wasn't really necessary anymore, which is why it became more of a punishment than rather than a duty. Right. And, um, they have, a uh, who was it? Like the maesters, uh, there's a few scenes where some of the maesters say, uh, there's, there's one where the, the winter fell maester, I forget his name off the top of my head was talking with Bran and they're saying, this is my, my maester chain. You know, you make, one link out of a different metal for every discipline that you learn. And the one for magic is a Valyrian steel ring or chain link. And he said that, you know, magic may have been real once, but it no longer seems to be, a, you know, have any effect in this world. But nevertheless, it's something that we study anyway, just out of tradition. So they do comment that it used to exist. And even the, whatchamacallit, the, the alchemists that make the, the wildfire for Tyrion. Mm-hmm. They even said, like, uh, like, all of a sudden, we can make this stuff like nobody's business. Whereas before, we used to have to really struggle to make even one batch. Like, you know, all of a sudden, just bam, like, you know, they can get like triple or whatever. They didn't really give a specific measurement, but, you know, right. due to possibly magic returning to the world, they were able to craft more of it. Interesting. So, yeah. uh, and and also interesting that with Valerian steel being so rare that they would make a, a chain out of it, you know, a chain link out of it. Oh yeah, they. Uh, I mean, it still exists. They just can't really make more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's possibly going to change thanks to Sam now learning more about magic and stealing his father's ancestral sword, <laughs> which I'm sure he's not going to be happy about when he finally figures it out. Yeah. Uh, there's a good chance. Oh, and this is my, we're going a little off topic, but this is my fan theory. I'm not sure if I mentioned it the last time we talked. In fact, it's not completely original. I think somebody might have said it on Reddit, and I'm just copying it here. Okay. So <laughs> if somebody else said it, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm stealing it. 
um, there's a very strong chance that Sam might actually learn secrets of delirium steel in, in in this specific case how to make more of it but he's going to need a blacksmith to actually help him do it because you know he's not really strong or skilled in forging metals this is a chance for Gendry to return <laughs> on the SS missing plot <laughs> yeah like I'm sure that rowing the boat for like three seasons probably got him super jacked up now and he can swing a hammer like no one's business <laughs> that's great I would love to see him uh, show back up in the show because uh, he was he was a character that I was very interested in yeah now, so I hope he makes a comeback <laughs> now uh, I don't know I think I read a, a headline somewhere throughout the last week or so but I know I didn't click on it to read to actually read the story. Uh, it was, I, I don't know if I was just uh, pa- running past it or something. But did I read that George R. R. Martin finished the book that he was currently writing? Yes, they're teasing that it's finished and that the release date will be announced soon. Okay. Um, what exactly that means, I don't know. Because, um, I mean, he could be finished with it. But that still means it has to go to his proofreader and editor and editor and, and yeah, publisher and all that good stuff. And and I don't know how that process works. So you know, him being finished, it could still be like months to maybe even a year. Um, and that book is but, the Winds of Winter, right? Yes, that is the Winds of Winter. Um, a lot of the plot lines in this in the TV show are now uh, at the Winds of Winter, if not even a little bit more ahead. So reading the book is going to be kind of surreal because a lot of it's going to be like simultaneous with the with the show, but you're also going to be seeing a lot of new stuff that hasn't been done yet. And also the way George R. R. Martin's books work, there's several characters and plot lines that are not even referenced in the show. Mm-hmm. So they're they're basically at the point now where they're so divergent. Starting around like season four, they started to really diverge. So it's almost like they're like The Walking Dead started off really faithful to the comic, and now it's its own thing, basically. Right. It's kind of like that now with the books too. And is Winds of Winter book six or book seven? Book six. Six. Okay. And he's book seven is supposed to be the last one, right? Supposed to be. He's also commented that he might even have enough material to split it into two books and make an eighth. Okay, but uh, so far it it sounds like it's still just the seventh book, and it should be called a Dream of Summer. Okay, and then we and that's when we ha- we have we ha- we still have season seven and season eight because they gave us uh, two seasons with uh, less amount of episodes, right? Right. Yes. So I mean, obviously, season eight will come and go before he even gets to the end. Of oh yeah, book eight or even book seven. So the show will be long gone by then. Hopefully, I mean, it would be inter- it will be interesting to find out, you know, in the, that future whenever that happens, if it happens that uh uh how much he diverges from the the series or how much the series is different from the book, I should say. Well, they're going to arrive to the same conclusion, I'm sure. It's just how they get there that'll be a little different. So, it'll be a different perspective, I, I guess you could say, but ultimately, however the the show ends will more than likely be how the book ends too. Like so, whoever ends up winning the Iron Throne or you know whatever the outcome is of the the upcoming battle with Daenerys versus Cersei will probably be the same. Just the way the events take place will probably be a little different. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, then I mean I. 
I just think it's going to be really interesting, especially for the people that uh, are the big book readers of the sh- of the the series, to see how they feel about the the two. Obviously, yeah, right. You're right. Same outcome, but different journeys. So, mm. all right. Now, the one thing that I really wanted to talk about this week uh, was an article that came out back on August 31st. Uh, it was kind of a, a leaked list of DCU uh, rumors that showed up on Reddit. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you probably uh, read it there because you're you're a redditor. Um, mm-hmm. And you you already spoke about one of them about Joe Manganiello being Deathstroke, but there's a li- long list of stuff. And though I I just I treat it all as rumors. I don't think a lot of it is. Uh, I don't think a lot of it will come true. But the fact that Joe Manganiello uh, is Deathstroke does put a little bit more weight to uh, what what we see here. And uh, if anybody thinks you know they don't want to be spoiled by any of this stuff, uh, you could probably jump ahead to when we start talking about the the two movies but i want to talk about this list as is so uh first thing that they have on here is cyborg is out folks expect a full team or full titans flick with deathstroke as the main antagonist nightwing is in it though it uh, if that's any consolation cyborg will be in the flash movie because barry and vic knew each other in school now you know part of uh, Vic Stone Cyborg's backstory is that he was a, a big high school college football player that was uh, involved in an accident, and his father had to uh, bond the cyborg uh, machinery to him to keep him alive after his accident. So him being in football, or him being a big football star in high school, and knowing uh, Barry, who would have been a nerd uh, for any better reason is going to be interesting how they play that out will will Vic be the kind football player that you know is kind to the nerds or is he going to be are they going to be two guys that bullied each other or is he going to be a guy that bullied Barry and you know eventually found the wrongness of his ways because he became cyborg kind of thing mm-hmm. but I I'm really interested in the whole Titans movie in general because uh, I think one this is a world where you know this DC EU world definitely had uh, Robin's in it, so it's going to be interesting to see how they do with the other um, sidekicks. Have any anything you want to say about that? Uh, not really. I'm just kind of watching the news as it comes out and uh, letting it wash over me because I'm actually very uh, not very versed in like the DC side of things. So as it comes, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, the Let's next piece. <laughs> the next piece is sequel to Man of Steel will be released in 2020. The name Superman will not be in the title. Villain is Brainiac. They're trying to court several directors, including J.J. Abrams and Duncan Jones. Uh, Duncan Jones obviously just made Warcraft. Other characters being considered uh, include Supergirl and Superboy. Lex Luthor will be a key character in Brainiac's new origin. I believe the origin uh, they have planned at the moment is Lex uses Kryptonian and alien tech to enhance Lex OS, and it becomes Brainiac. From what I've seen, though, they, they definitely want Brainiac in a physical comic booky form, not as some AI-controlling drones or machines or something. Uh, f- so talking about this whole thing as, as one, or as, as different parts, uh, I can see them not using Superman in the title because... They kind of like to do that. I mean, obviously, look at the Dark Knight, uh, Man of Steel, 
uh, things like that. So I mean, I don't know what. I mean, maybe they'll call the movie The Man of Tomorrow, or maybe they'll call it Resurrection. I don't know. You, you, we'll have to see. Uh, Brainiac as a villain is a great idea. I, I would love to see that movie. However, Brainiac as basically Ultron being created by Lex Luthor and you know having a, 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 a you know. Base, I mean, it's Age of Ultron all over again, and we already know how, you know, Age of Ultron wasn't the best of movies, so I don't know why DC would go down that route since they constantly want to be known as different from the Marvel movies, but that seems exactly the same thing as Age of Ultron, as what the, what's being described there. Uh, also, bringing Supergirl and Superboy into the movie would be, I think, really risky, because... That's a lot of explanation. I mean, obviously, if they don't, they're just going to try and change it up and maybe both of them be clones of Superman or something like that. I don't know. Uh, And then finally, J.J. Abrams or Duncan Jones. I don't know if J.J. Abrams would want to do something like this because uh, of the movies he's already made with Star Trek and Star Wars. And Duncan Jones, uh, you know, I I thought I I, I like his movies. Maybe not so much Warcraft. I thought Warcraft was okay. It wasn't the best, but uh, Moon and uh, Source Code were great. So I would love to see what he has to do with Superman. you have any thoughts on all this? Yeah, at this point, yeah, he might just be happy to get work after Warcraft. <laughs> well, but, I mean, it did well in, what, foreign markets? It, yeah, it did good in foreign, but it was kind of a mess of a movie, and I don't think that was necessarily his fault. It's just like we've talked before; there was too much story to put in a two-hour movie. Definitely, and, and you and know, it just comes off. Yeah, you look at his other movies, Source Code and, and Moon; those are extremely well scaled down from Warcraft. Warcraft was so huge and epic with all the things that he has to cover and all the CGI and all the different storylines. Whereas Source Code is takes place on a train. Uh, it's basically the same scene over and over again, and then Moon is what um, Sam Rockwell, and then he has to interact with a robot that's voiced by Kevin Spacey. You know, I mean, it's a lot of complicated storyline in that, but it's a lot. It's a lot more scaled down uh, in a sense than Warcraft. So we'll have to see. It's basically like a stage play or something. It takes place like all in one location. Yeah, exactly. Talks uh, to himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, next one is Edgar Wright is also being courted for a DCEU project. This news, if it's true, I would love it. I love Edgar Wright. I think everything he does is awesome. Um, San, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Mr. one Gold, of my favorite maybe? movie. <laughs> Mr. Gold? The what? Booster Gold, you oh, think? Oh, yeah. He could make a Booster Gold movie. That'd be really pretty awesome. I would love that. Uh, but... Would he want to make a comic book movie after being burned on Ant-Man? Who knows? Well, I hope he uh, does it as a way of sticking it to Marvel. <laughs> like uh, whatever character it is steps on an ant at some point? Yeah, something like that. Or like maybe if it was Blue Beetle, like, you know, everything he wanted to bring to the Ant-Man character do there instead. And, you know, I mean, and by no means was Ant-Man a bad movie. It was... By this point, it was average in the uh, Marvel U standards. I think yeah, I would put it there, yeah, as one of the, yes. the average ones, which is so, still a good movie. It's just, you know, not one of the best. Right. But, and, and and that's partially due to the fact that they've set a pretty high bar, too. So, I mean, to, to be average in the MCU, it's still better than, you know, the best of the DCU so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see what... 
he could do. Um, okay, so then the next thing is uh, they're trying not to make Justice League feel overcrowded, but it's very clear that there is a lot they're working with already. I was going to say that's too late because they're already going to be doing a lot with that Justice League movie. Looking to be a long movie, they know they can cut out a ton of stuff and repeat past mistakes. I don't know if that's actually written correctly there, but uh, yeah, I think if anything, Justice League needs to stick to one villain, one storyline, and just flesh it out amazingly and not be Dark Knight Returns and Doomsday and Bizarro all thrown into one storyline like Dawn of Justice was. You know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed we'll see Crypto as well. <laughs> we'll see Crypto? Yeah. The dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? I, you know what? Why not? That is a very good <laughs> question. Why not? Uh, uh yeah, at this point, it's just we have to. I mean, we already know the Justice League movie is has you know the the Batman basically finding people and putting them together into a team. So uh, I don't know how much more they can change about the Justice League movie at this point, but because it's already filmed, they wrapped filming and it's in post production now, and uh, we'll just have to wait. And if we go watch it, then we go watch it. If we don't, then we don't. <laughs> Yeah, I'll probably end up seeing it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I go. I went and saw Fantastic Four in the theater, and I knew that was going to be a fucking shit show, but I still went and saw it. So, <laughs> and uh, is that all the the DC news coming out right now? Oh no, we got a lot more. <laughs> okay, so uh, bear with me. <laughs> bear with Let's me, listeners. Um, uh, here, oh, Justice League's villain is Steppenwolf, as you all know. The League fights parademons for a good chunk of the film. Lex is out of prison and gets the public to love him. He tries to manipulate the public into hating heroes like Batman and Superman, but it doesn't work. Lex helps Steppenwolf come to Earth in exchange for technology and knowledge. Lex is very manipulative and much calmer than he was in BVS. He's also much scarier, in my opinion. There's a funny scene after the League is assembled where Joker and Harley are committing a crime and they expect Batman to show up when the whole League arrives because that's what you need. You need the whole League to come and stop Joker and Harley. It's really funny and Joker and Harley just stand there not knowing what to do now. Kind of a well shit moment. Later, the League gets their asses kicked by Steppenwolf. Uh, or Steppenwolf, I'm sorry, but then Superman returns and weakens him. The whole, the full Justice League then works together to defeat Steppenwolf in an almost climactic fight reminiscent of the big fight scene in The Avengers. Superman has a beard, long hair, tattered, scorched-looking black suit, and is thin at first, not as thin as Flashpoint Superman, but still thin. Uh, during the fight with Steppenwolf, you see his full strength return with each swing, and with each second he's in the sunlight. Green Lantern shows up at the very, very end of the film, may even be moved to mid-post-credit scene, and there's a full dark side tease at the end, but Justice League 2 may, may or may not use Darkseid as the villain. The biggest concern is comparisons to Thanos. Uh, they may hold off and use him, in further, uh, use him further down the line once the dust has settled following Infinity War. Other villains being considered are the Injustice League, the Crime Syndicate, and the Society. They really want multiple villains for the sequel for some reason. Tower of Babel is also being discussed as a possible plot. So, 
with all that being said, uh, I think the best thing I heard out of there is that they'll tone down Lex Luthor some. <laughs> uh, yeah, he won't be channeling. Channeling who? Max Landis. Oh, <laughs> Uh yeah, that would that would be nice if he could uh yeah, just not be so weird. I mean, I think forever we're going to we're going to remember Lex Luthor now as the fucking Jolly Rancher scene in Batman v Superman. That was just so <laughs> fucking creepy and out of character and fucking weird. Uh this whole thing about like postponing Dark Side because it's too much like Thanos. There's there's nothing you can do about that. The two characters have always been compared to one another. They'll always will be compared to one another. You, you, if you're, I mean, you've already done Doomsday, so where else can you go that's gonna keep the the Justice League, you know, uh, occupied? Dark Side is the only thing that you can do. And if they actually decide to do, until they have Infinite Crisis or something. Well, yeah, I mean, that's when they're talking about Injustice League and the Crime Syndicate. I mean, if if you're gonna do that, that means you know. Uh, each each actor is going to be playing two roles in the movie, where they have to play the good version and the bad version of themselves. And I don't know. That's that seems like that's going to be super complicated and a lot a lot to film. Yeah, I feel like the DCU is going to collapse under its own weight. Because uh, even though I was able to follow along with everything you've been saying, my head feels like it's spinning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. When they're talking about all this this Justice League stuff, it's already it's already seems very complicated. Uh, a Tower of Babel storyline being on live action because Tower of Babel is probably one of my favorite uh, Justice League storylines uh, written to date, and to see that on on screen would be awesome. I just fear that they would they wouldn't do it right, um, just like they didn't do it right in the animated version. Um, so I'll have to find. I mean, if they did it, I, I would. I I would I don't know if I cringe or be happy. So uh, now I do have something to add to that comment about uh, Harley Quinn and Joker being confronted by the entire Justice League. Uh huh. They may have heard about how Harley Quinn cut out the heart of a witch using an enchanted samurai sword, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh man, we we gotta team up on this one." She's... <laughs> She's more powerful than we realized. Yeah, but then you'd be—you'd have Batman sitting there at the, you know, the briefing table, and he'd be like, "They'd be like, okay, so what's her her main weapon? Oh, it's a, a baseball bat. You mean like a enchanted baseball bat? Nope, nope, just made out of regular uh, ashwood, and you know, has it has um, uh, words written on it though. So yeah." <laughs> <laughs> And then I think, uh, you know, Wonder Woman would be like, you need us all for what now? <laughs> uh, but you're right. She did cut out a witch's heart with an enchanted samurai sword. So we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, next thing is Justice League 2 will be pushed back to the end of 2019 to make room for Justice League Dark, which will have a different title to not confuse moviegoers. Now, I don't quite understand this about Justice League being pushed back to the end of 2019. Uh, our, we don't have Justice League coming out until 2017, so when was it supposed to be if uh, not at the end of 2019? I would assume it would be even further back, like 2020. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and Justice League Dark, yeah, they definitely need to have a different title for that. 
if they're if they're actually going to make that movie. Well, Justice League was supposed to be a two-parter, wasn't it? And then they eventually came out and said, "Oh, it's not going to be part one and part two anymore. It's going to be like two separate movies." Or am I thinking of Infinity War? You're thinking of Infinity War. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what they were planning with Justice League and Justice League Two, but that to me just doesn't didn't make sense. Aquaman will release August 2018. The villain is Black Manta, though as far as I know, he has not yet been cast. Uh, the concept sketches do show the full suit, which made me very excited. And when I talk, this is the, you know the guy who wrote the article. Uh, they want Black Manta to be a Darth Vader-esque character in that his voice and presence is intimidating and terrifying even when uh, he's not fighting. Aqualad is in it and serves his father for a good chunk of the film. He eventually switches sides and helps Aquaman. There's a cool fight scene planned where Aquaman and Aqualad fight Black Manta's army because Aquaman goes off to fight Black Manta at the end. So, uh, I would assume that, you know, this is, uh, t- when they speak about Aqualad, they're not talking about the first Aqualad as in Garth. They're talking about uh, the second Aqualad, which is the son of Black Manta. Uh, and he will... Uh, follow suit with what kind of happens in the comic books and kind of happens in the TV show Young Justice of uh, working underneath Black Manta and then also working underneath Aquaman. So, uh, Black Manta as the as the enemy, I find that great. I mean, the two big villains in, in Aquaman comic books has always been Black Manta and then Ocean Master. So, I guess saving o- Ocean Master for further movies down the line would make sense, unless they're going to just keep Black Manta as his enemy throughout, you know, his franchise altogether. Uh, this whole comparing him to Darth Vader, I, I don't. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess if that's what you want to do, I mean, he is a character that's in an all black suit and wears a black helmet, so it's kind of hard not to think of Vader <laughs> at this point. But uh, it should be interesting. Maybe he has a big Schwartz. <laughs> Will it be almost as big as mine? <laughs> uh. That's what she said. Ah! All right. <laughs> Flash's release date is March 2018. Villains are the rogues, led by really a really creepy Captain Cold. The film is going to be really fun, but Captain Cold is strange. Creepy is really the best way I can describe it. I'm not entirely sold on the concept, so hopefully it will work better on the big screen. He wears a sleek mechanical suit that has the same color scheme and pattern as his comic book in- incarnation. They noticed how fans loved the Speed Force scenes in the show and hope to put their own spin on something similar. I don't understand. Once again, this is the whole uh, DCEU thinks that everybody needs to have armor all the time. Uh, we have we seen we've already seen. Uh, uh, the Flash in some type of armor. We see, uh, you know, they want to make Captain Cold armor. Batman had armor when he was fighting Superman. Uh, Deathstroke obviously has armor in that test footage, whatever, you know. So making putting him in armor and then making him super creepy, it seems like a odd choice, but we'll have to see what they end up doing. Maybe it'd be good, maybe it won't. I don't know. Uh, if they change, if they change the idea and the motives of Captain Cold, I know a lot of Flash fanboys that are going to be upset. <laughs> I'll just say that now. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, Kitty. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the next one. The Batman film, right now called The Batman, though they are considering other titles, will, will release October 5th, 2018. Current plots have has Black Mask as the main villain, breaking other villains out of Arkham to kill Batman. Joker and Harley have a subplot involving a bomb to blow up all the inmates once Batman recaptures them all. That results in Harley leaving the Joker because of the abuse and Batman trying to rehabilitate her. Deathstroke is sent in by Waller to help contain the situation so she can use them for her own means, but Batman fights Deathstroke and promises Waller that he's coming for her next. Deadshot is also in it, but leaves the asylum to be with his daughter instead of getting his revenge on Batman. There's a really cool scene where Black Mask lines up all the villains uh, and asks who will join him to get revenge. This scene will focus a lot on Deadshot's reactions, making it clear he wants only freedom. Many of the villains get away in the end, with Batman promising to hunt them all down. The film will end with Batman overlooking Gotham and seeing one of the B-list villains has yet to be decided uh, committing a crime. Um, this is also very convoluted. I mean, there's a lot going on in this little paragraph of what's supposed to happen in this movie. Just like Suicide Squad, there's going to be a, Be- a Harley-Joker subplot that probably doesn't need to be in it at all it sounds like more like it's just in there so that we can get to the harley uh standalone movie um we'll have deathstroke and deadshot in the movie which i don't know might be confusing for some people but then again it's played by joe manganello and then will smith so they should be okay um and then you know also involving waller and black mask and Jesus Christ! Everybody in their in their goddamn mother. So, uh, I don't know that that might be a movie, another movie that's trying to bite off a little bit more than it should. Again, head spinning. <laughs> like, whoa! Fair enough. Uh, we still have a few more to go, so try and stay with me. <laughs> Luke Evans was approached to play Sinestro in Green Lantern Corps. Not sure if he agreed. The film will be lighthearted and fun. They're modeling the tone after old cheesy sci-fi serials. As of right now, the villain will be Sinestro with a tease of Atrocitus towards the end, subject to change, however. They want to explore the various Lantern Corps with the film and the sequels. Alright, I don't know exactly what that means by old cheesy sci-fi serials, um... I think I have heard the Luke Evans uh, approach to play Sinestro before, uh, which is cool. I think Luke Evans is a, a great actor, so uh, seeing him in this would be interesting. And at one point in time, before the, the Suicide Squad movie had come out, I thought he would make a great dead shot, but that didn't happen. So we'll have to we'll have to see what he how he does as uh, Sinestro, which I would say Mark Strong already did a great job. Uh, was it Mark Strong? Yeah, yes. I think, yeah. Mark Strong did a great job as Sinestro in the uh, other Green Lantern movie that you know doesn't get talked about a lot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they want to do something fresh and new to revamp Black Adam and Shazam. From what I've heard, Dwayne Johnson has been in constant communication about what they could do to make this film better. Billy is also a huge Justice League fan, and he meets them at the end of the film as Shazam. Uh, I think this is interesting because you know. Dwayne Johnson has been linked to Black Adam for I don't know how long. 
fucking a long time, and the fact that they're still he's still involved is is great. Uh, Misha Collins, Shannon Tatum, Milo Ventimiglia, Steven Yoon, and Jake Gyllenhaal have been approached for various roles. Doesn't say what roles, just says they've been approached. Rob Lowe was approached to play one of the villains in the Flash film. Uh, they apparently really want him to play a villain, uh, which would be interesting. Rob Lowe is very well known as being a very handsome man, so him to play a villain would be interesting. Emily Blunt, Rosamund Pike, ex-Alexandria Daddario, and Jessica Chastain have also been approached. What roles those could be? Who knows? Expect full trailers for both Wonder Woman and Justice League, emphasizing the fun of these movies. The Wonder Woman trailer shows the villain a little. Also expect a bunch of announcements regarding casting, release dates being moved, a few new films being added to the slate, plans for DCEU shows and DCEU animated movies. No shows or movies will be announced, just that they will make fun that the tie-in and more. Now... When they keep when this guy keeps referring to that, you know, expect these things to happen. He's talking about that there was supposed to be this big DC uh, event on September second that happened, and uh, he's really um, implying that they were going to make a lot of DCEU announcements, movie announcements, stuff like that. I think what actually did happen was a lot of video game announcements happened, a lot of video game streaming happened at this event. So uh, there wasn't really anything about movies that that came out of there. Uh, hmm. Did you have something you wanted to add? Yes. Um, I want to call it now. In fact, I want to implore um, Warner Brothers, please cast Alexandra Daddario as Power Girl. <laughs> I will give you all my money I have currently in my wallet if you make that happen. All right, you you heard it here first. John will be a longtime loyal DCEU fan from now on, as well as long as Alexandria Alexandria Dario. God, see, you were talking about your Spanish tongue. My Asian tongue doesn't seem to want to say certain words either. Uh, is cast as Power Girl, and I will have to say that I will not be disappointed as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Next, uh, we have going off that last bit. They're planning on bringing the DCEU shows to HBO exclusively. Ideas being tossed around include Birds of Prey, Nightwing, The Question, heavily being considered as being the first, last I heard, uh, The Phantom Stranger, Zatanna, and Doctor Fate. And the fact that Nightwing, being a TV show, when they already said they're going to conclude him in the Titans movie, would be interesting because if it's supposed to be connected to the DCU or not uh, will be uh, weird because, you know, it would be two different actors. However, we already have a bunch of different actors playing the same characters in the CW shows, which I think also goes off of uh, the whole idea that, you know, the CW, Berlanti already said that he's not going to be creating any, they're not going to be bringing any more new TV shows uh, to the CW about DC characters, even though they are, they just announced that Black Lightning will also be a character in a DC or a CW show based off of DC characters. So we have conflicting stories and a bunch of uh, different things going around. We'll have to see how that all plays out. I would love to see a show about the question. I would love to see a show about Zatanna. I'd love to see a show about Dr. Fate birds of prey. We already tried, uh, you know, a couple years ago. Actually, I think that's over a decade ago now. Uh, 
I already said Nightwing works. I think works better as a movie. And Phantom Stranger is well is way too weird and out there that I don't think it will work anywhere at all. He should just stay in the comic book. That was all my opinion. I don't know if I made that clear or not. <laughs> uh, the animated. Wow. Fi- <laughs> okay, we're we're almost to the end, so so bear with me. The animated films will show what some of the characters are up to during the events of other films. Suicide Squad 2 will happen, though, after 2020, likely to be 2021, will have a slightly altered roster. It also will not be directed by David Ayer, which I think is very strange, uh, seeing as how they've promoted how well that movie is done now, even though I don't like it, and I think a lot of the people I've talked to have said they didn't like it. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that they're going to wait till 2012, five years later, to, to put that movie out is definitely interesting. Uh, the DCEU has been mapped out to about 2025, and I think that would kind of go along with the whole idea that you said that Jeff Johns has 30 different movies planned already. And then finally, uh, the Booster Gold Blue Beetle movie is up in the air right now. They're leaning on the edge of approving it after the su- success of Deadpool, but, but may use it as an HBO show. And on a little update on that, I think we've seen in the last week that a Booster Gold movie is a go, but it's not supposed to be connected to the DCEU other movies as of now, uh, which I think would also be strange. Why create a movie and not put it in the world that you're already creating and make them separate? Unless you're going to go with the whole Booster Gold travels through time and you know sets things right or sets things wrong, so which kind of puts them outside of the timeline but still in the same world. And that is all of the different rumors, John. So you can relax. Wow. <laughs> it's like you know how in like the Matrix they can upload like all kinds of stuff into your brain. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah, I feel like that just happened, and <laughs> it probably killed a few brain cells in the process. That was a lot to take in. Yeah, that was a huge data dump right there. So, which actually brought us all the way to the end of our hour for the podcast, but we're still going to talk about our movies. So, uh, if uh, I assume you have a little bit more to absorb with all that information I just dumped on you, same with the listeners. Uh, I think I've, I've said my piece about each one of those stories and we can go ahead and, uh, jump into our, Oh wait, I know you had one thing that from the corrections department that you wanted to bring up. Yes. Our first, well, my first official correction, um, Last week we talked about Godzilla, and I made a reference to the American 1998 Godzilla being featured in one of the Japanese movies. Uh, I actually misspoke. It wasn't in Godzilla 2000. It was in Godzilla Final Wars, which actually came out in 2004. So thank you, Daniel, my uh, Godzilla guru. Uh, One day we'll have to have a much more in-depth conversation regarding Godzilla, but... uh, yeah, he set me straight. He was like, thanks for the shout-out, but uh, this is what you got wrong about that. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I, I love it when our listeners send in stuff telling us, you know, the the, th- right, the, the right things that we needed to say. So uh, anybody wants to send in something else, uh, go right ahead. And I also had one last-minute correction to myself from this very own uh, podcast we just did right now. Man, that correction uh, department's on the ball. Yeah. That uh, Harry Dean Stanton is an actor. Uh, he's the guy that plays the janitor or security guard that finds uh, Bruce Banner 
at, during the third act of Avengers when he's like, uh, whoa, I think you have a condition, son. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was still in the superhero genre, but it was just a completely different actor with this <laughs> almost similar middle name. There you go. <laughs> uh fair no no problem um cool so first movie we're going to talk about this week 1989 the punisher with dolph lundgren uh i think this you know for the longest time a lot of people knew this as the punisher you know this is what they they knew this is what was out there uh it wasn't until the thomas jane punisher movie that came out that we we had another punisher uh in the movie universe so uh, which I have to say, the Thomas Jane movie is one of my favorite movies, uh, comic book movies. I think it's really underrated, and I think he, it was very much unfair that he didn't get to come back for the sequel. But then again, Warzone was terrible, so <laughs> I think he's thankful for that. However, he did make that short, Dirty Laundry. If anybody hasn't seen it, go to YouTube, type in uh, Punisher Dirty Laundry, and you'll see. Uh, him reprising the role, well, not officially, because he, you know there's no real uh, ties to the Marvel universe in that. But it's still a pretty cool little short that he made. However, we're talking about Dolph, Dolph Lundgren here, and going back to watch this, you really have to put yourself in a. I, I feel you have to really put yourself in a mindset of the 1980s, 1990s, because this is an action movie straight out of that era. It. And for all intents and purposes, I don't know why it, it didn't do well, because it looks just like every other super action movie that, that came out then. You know, I could you could easily put uh, Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Van Damme into this movie, and it would be the exact same. It, it, the plot looks just like it. It's filmed exactly like it. Everything is the same. Or you could put Charles Bronson or Clint Eastwood, even. That's true. I mean, you could this could this could easily be a Death Wish movie or a Dirty Harry movie. Pretty much, yeah. Now, from my understanding, uh, both this movie and the previous one we talked about, Captain America, they were intended to be theatrical releases. But I think part of where it went wrong is that the studios didn't have any faith in them and made them direct to video. This movie was direct to video. I didn't know that. I think it was, yeah. I think it was intended to be theatrical, and they just decided to cut their losses. They're like, no, nope, this isn't going to be good enough. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that's that's incredible. I mean, I can see that for the, the Captain America one because that one was awful, but this was actually, you know, this actually was in a widescreen format too, so the fact that it went straight to to tv or straight to video was was interesting um i have to say this one they kind of, i don't i don't know if i i missed it or what but they they imply that frank castleness was just a a cop just a a cop that you know rose through the ranks quickly you know became a detective and then his family dies they kept the family dying being killed by a mob but they don't say anything about him being in the in in the military that I, I remember or that I caught yet. He knows how to do all this fighting. He knows how to use all these different weapons. Even at one point he's using a, you know, Chinese staff with the sword on the end of it. And he's using it accurately, which uh, Dolph Lundgren would know how to use. But in the story that they've created here, I don't see how, why Frank Castle would know how to use properly. 
Yeah, there's a lot that's left to uh, the imagination, I guess, where we just don't really know. We just kind of have to accept. Um, they were very light on the origin, similar to Captain America. Very light. Where they just kind of gloss over it. I mean, it, it, the case can be made. Sometimes the movies spend too much time on the origin. And this is the exact opposite. They just kind of say, oh, well, you know, his family was killed and that was it. Like, you don't see the transition or, like, what caused him to go through that torture, that mental state where he then becomes, a, you know, this vigilante. Um, but to go back a little bit, I just did some real quick Googling. And, yes, it looks like it was intended to be released uh, by the production company New World, which I remember from a lot of B-movies back in the 80s. Uh, was having financial trouble so it actually even though it was completed in 1989 it did not premiere in the u.s until 1991 on vhs and laserdisc ah interesting yeah um yeah i I would say you know uh, you know the fact that they the the whole origin his the origin of his character and you know this family dying is all said at the very beginning of the movie in a news like uh, clip, like the the anchor is just sitting at the desk and kind of just telling you the backstory, which to me is very odd. I mean, the Thomas Jane movie, you know, has the whole build up. We even you even see the family being killed at the barbecue, and uh, the newest one with John Berth and all, we get to see. Uh, we it's a big part of the plot, you know, why his family was killed at that carousel and. Uh, him having his background of what it was. So the fact that they just kind of brush over it in the beginning of this movie, I think was definitely a uh, part that hurts it. Yeah. And that news article at the beginning reminded me a lot of RoboCop. I felt like they were trying to channel that kind of satirical slant. You're right. The that, story. that does have, it does have a very uh, RoboCop feel with the, with uh, the constant news updates. And w- once again, you know, uh, that's very 80s of them because it's the whole idea is just we don't need story just get straight to the action straight to people getting killed or you know the gunfights and stuff like that yeah of which there are a few it's it's very violent like you were saying it's like straight out of that era of uh like revenge porn essentially yeah now the idea is also that because I don't, because the 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 news lady doesn't put two and two get two and two together that Frank Castle and Punisher are the same person, but the story does go on to say that the Punisher, uh, this no this uh, suspected vigilante, the Punisher, is going around killing all these mob bosses and the mob families. But then we also have another storyline of you know this last mob family that's the Italian mob family that's being that's doing operations, then is starting to get wiped out by the yakuza the japanese mob and it's funny that you know they basically have to explain they use one of the mob bosses as a way to explain to the audience what the yakuza is and it's it's a very funny like little dialogue i think not not intended to be funny but like the one guy's like you know the japanese mob you know it's just like come on (laughs) this is so horrible like the dialogue is just not good in this and it has a very well well respected uh uh, casting of Ju- uh, Louis Gossett Jr. I mean, this he, he was in Roots, and you know he's in a lot of other great movies. And the fact that he's he's doing this one is kind of 
kind of below him, I would have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, by this point, the Iron Eagle money was starting to wind down. You know, you're right. I didn't even think about that. He was in those Iron Eagle movies, so uh, that's kind of that's kind of harsh. <laughs> Just a tad. Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> I did make a note to myself to remember, I was like, oh, how progressive. You have Italian stereotypes and Japanese stereotypes as the villains. <laughs> <laughs> um, but where they did kind of surprise me is that the main female boss lady, although she dresses like a geisha for no real reason. Yeah, that was so weird um, at the end. To look kind of badass. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that her bodyguard was a like Anglo-looking martial artist. Which also didn't make any I was sense. Like, oh, that's actually... That was kind of progressive, though. It was like, oh, okay, so maybe she's showing that she's so powerful that, you know, she doesn't need, like, one of the highly trained Japanese assassin or bodyguards. She's she's cool with just having a, just a normal-looking uh, white woman be her bodyguard. But, you know, that also, like, plays into that whole, I, I mean, it, it does sound progressive, but at one, you know, it's also like a throwback to old, you know, racist stereotypes of you have this white person that goes to Asia and then starts doing Asian things better than Asians, you know? I mean, which, yeah, comic books do the same thing. Batman is Bruce Wayne. He's from America. He goes to he goes to learn martial arts and being a ninja, and all of a sudden he's better ninja than everybody else. Uh, same with uh, Doctor Strange. He goes to Tibet, learns from the Asians how to do magic. Now he's the better... You know, better doing magic than Asians that taught him stuff, you know? Uh, Iron yeah. Fist, big, bigger one, you know? <laughs> Tom Cruise and The Last Samurai. Tom Cruise and The Last Samurai. Looks like Matt Damon's going to be the same way in this new Great Wall yeah. movie. Uh, it's just... Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> there is a term for that. I remember reading a cracked article that talks exactly about that. And it's a pretty funny read. I'll have to look for it and maybe link it to to the website or the Facebook page. But well, I know, I know. Yeah, there's there's a name for that now in Hollywood. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I I know there's a I know Mark Bernardin who's on Kevin Smith's uh, Fat Man on Batman podcast with him has a whole rant about it that on one of their uh, podcasts. So if you also want to look that one up, you can. Uh, you not you personally, but the listener. If the listener wants to go back and look up one of that, look that up. Oh, I'm gonna do it too. Okay, you do it too, John. <laughs> Uh, one of the scenes I, I really want to talk about because it really struck me as odd and I don't know if I missed something or not, but so, you know, the torture scene that's being happened to Frank Castle and his homeless buddy, oh, yeah. the actor, uh, the thespian, the yeah. thespian. Yes. I loved it when in the bar scene, when he, he tells the other drunk, I'm a thespian. The guy gets so upset. Like, what the hell does that mean? He's like, Oh, you know, an actor. <laughs> He's like, Oh, okay. Here's my money. He just gives him money for no reason. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> But uh, in the scene, the two of them are, are basically on a rack. They're uh, being pulled apart or, or you know, stretched out. And, uh, of course, they use a, a butterfly uh, nut to keep the chains on. And Frank easily gets that off of there uh, to free himself. But the, the leader of the Yakuza lady, uh, she, she leaves and leaves it to her, her doctor. She's like, this is Dr. So-and-so. He's going to... He's going to torture you all the way to the point that you wish you were dead or something like that. And uh, she just leaves. And once again, you know, this is the this is the Bond. putting The villain puts Bond into a trap that's easily escapable and just assumes that he's going to die. 
but uh, you know, Castle gets out of it, and then he puts the doctor into the into the rack, and he starts stretching him out until the doctor tells him where the kids are being held. And then they leave, but as they're leaving, the doctor has high heels on, red high heels on, and it's a dude. And like, I don't think they mentioned this anywhere. Like, why is he wearing high heels? I do remember that. I. Now that you mention it, I'm wondering why I forgot to write it down. But yeah, I was like, "Wait, what? It's it, it, what it, is happening?" Here? And it's what very else? prominent. It's not like it's not like they zoomed in on the high heels or anything. But the way that the camera is fixed is, uh, you know, his head. He's on the rack, laying on his back, and the door is furthest. It's in the background, furthest away from uh, the camera, whereas his feet are closest to the camera, and the red high heels are on his feet right there. Why is he in high heels? Is there a scene cut out there? <laughs> Did they, is that what Frank Castle thought torture was? Putting putting him in women's clothing? I don't understand what's happening here. It was very disrespectful to his ancestors, I guess. Uh, I, I guess. No, that was that was very yeah. That and actually, I felt that that was a common thing in the whole movie. Is I felt that there was entire scenes missing. I wouldn't doubt it. Like, yeah, there's um. As a matter of fact, yeah, I was just uh, browsing YouTube here and I typed in Punisher High Heels and that scene naturally pops up. That's one of the first. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. So I, I want to check that out later and see if anybody has anything to say about it. But uh, yeah, it is very strange. It's just there. There's no explanation. Kind of similar to how the Asian ladies all geisha it out. Maybe, uh, maybe they were partying, you know, having like a little... Asian shindig. <laughs> Maybe it was a, you know, it could have been a, some type of uh, costume party or something like that, you know. Perhaps, yeah. He was going as a, maybe he was cosplaying as Frankenfurter or something. <laughs> and then she's like, I need you in the torture room right now. He's like, oh, damn. Okay, I'll be there in a second. No, you need to get here now. And he's like, all right, all right, I'm coming. And he just throws on his lab coat over his Frankenfurter outfit. <laughs> it was like you know I'm not a, really a doctor right it's just part of the costume <laughs> uh, that's, uh, you know one of the biggest things that we have uh, we didn't we haven't hit on yet is that the fact that there's no Punisher skull in this whole movie you know that's kind of like it's like having a Superman movie no super, Superman shield or Batman movie no Batman shield it's uh, it's very interesting that they decided not to go with the, the skull yeah, that was uh, that was my biggest problem with this movie when I first saw it back in the early 90s. I was like, well, I know one thing about the Punisher is that he wears all black and has a skull logo on his chest. Where's the skull logo? You know, like that, for some reason that really bothered me back in the day. And um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't do anything to save the movie, but at least if he kind of looked the part, it would, I think I might have been a little more kind to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now you know. Also, to talk about the fact that this is this this movie is after Dolph Lindgren did the Masters of the Universe uh, He Man movie. Do you think that had anything to do with like his decision to do this movie, or or not? I think so because Masters of the Universe was widely considered a flop. Right. And, I mean, this was shortly after, like, Masters of the Universe, I think, was 87, 87 yeah. 88, maybe? It was 87. Yeah, and uh, Rocky Four was... 84? 84, yeah. Yeah. So, he was kind of winding down career-wise, and, I mean, it wasn't until he 
data of Universal Soldier that he got a little bit more of a, a kickback resurgence. Up. Yeah, yeah, but it, it still kind of fizzled out until much more recently, with thanks the, to the Expendables the series. Expendables. <laughs> so yeah, there was like a good chunk where he kind of seemed like he really didn't do anything. I think it was really just a paycheck for him. I mean, hey, he doesn't for... have a lot of dialogue. He really doesn't. No. Um, he, I mean, you see him meditating in his, like, Ninja Turtle sewer layer a couple times. Which I thought was another I thing. I think the most conversation he has. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's another thing is that, you know, we don't have, uh, or you have this Punisher character that's riding around on his motorcycle in the sewer system, like, just driving around underneath uh new york city this whole time and the one detective who's supposed to be the you know one of the best detectives on the 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 force it doesn't think to to look there he's like i've looked i've searched this uh city from the street to the highest skyscraper i haven't been able to find him anywhere i don't know where he's at and then the one lady the new detective who wanted to come learn from the best just kind of comes well what if he's underneath the city oh it's just like come on (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that that last scene, like the very last scene of the movie is him like stark naked just meditating in his uh, sewer lair or whatever it is. It's so weird. I'm like was was this story adapted from a Frank Miller story cuz it would really explain a few things. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> uh just looking here too, talking about his dialogue Dolph, uh, in the trivia section of the Punisher in the IMDb, it says Dolph Lundgren helped revise the Punisher's monologues to be comfortable saying them. So <laughs> I have to wonder how many of those, what what that exactly meant. I, I, I'm guessing he said, yeah, I'm not saying all of this. Let's just cut it down to yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, to be comfortable saying things, probably like not saying much is what it really did. Like. Yeah, no, we don't need this soliloquy about how I feel about the loss of my family. I'm just going to grunt and uh, stab somebody. <laughs> um, so the, the, one of the, ma- the, the main plot, I guess, of this movie is uh, the Yakuza go and steal the kids of the remaining mob bosses and uh, kidnap them and keep them for ransom saying... You know, if you don't give up your territories, we kill your kids. Yet, also at some point, she she offers up the fact that you can keep your territories, but we get seventy five percent of the profits. You get twenty five percent of the profits. And of course, you know the Italian mob bosses don't want any of this. They don't want to have to uh, give up their profits to someone else and stuff like that. And then uh, they they go to a meeting with the yakuza lady. And they sit down to have a drink, <laughs> except for the one guy. He's like, I'm taking some medication right now, so I can't have a drink. And then everybody in the, the restaurant ends up being working for the Yakuza. And they're white, white, black, Hispanic, everybody. They all have subatomic, or subatomic, submachine guns. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all have submachine guns pointed at these uh, uh, Italian mob bosses. And then she's like... Uh, you, you don't have to worry about me killing you. I already did. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they start to choke up and seize because I've been poisoned, but it's not in the champagne. It's in the glass. And then the one guy didn't have the glass, so he gets shot in, in the head instead. But like, it's like, you, you, I don't know. 
the whole point that he doesn't drink the the champagne it was just to have him being shot in the head. It doesn't make any sense. You would think there was supposed to be more to that plot right there. Like, maybe he turned on them because he was the biggest one to be vocal about not working for the Yakuza. But then he just gets killed anyway. So I, it's like, why? Why didn't just have him drink the champagne too? It doesn't make any sense. And then if they have the, the kids, why are you killing them? That was the whole point of having the kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wrote down that the biggest missed opportunity was that it could have been an interesting story having to have Frank Castle team up with the mob because as much as he hates the, the mob and the criminals and whatnot, he actually cares about what happens to the innocents. Right, exactly. So, so that made for like a pretty cool dynamic there. But yeah, there's all these ridiculous side plots that don't really add up to anything. Um I think I, I need to point out that that guy that didn't drink from the glass, he did get impaled against the wall first, didn't he? <laughs> yes, which was yeah. by your uh, Anglo white lady uh, ninja assassin. She throws two uh, daggers, mini daggers, through the air. And even though he doesn't have... I thought this scene was very weird because he doesn't have his hands up. She still knew to to where to throw the, the dagger so that his hands would go up so that he'd be impaled crucifixion style against this wall. However, she had to throw those mini daggers with enough force for his hands to go from his waist up to the sides uh, near his shoulders and then get impaled into the wall. Now, it would have to go through his hand and into the wall, which doesn't to me doesn't look like a brick wall or a wood wall. It looked just like regular drywall, so I don't see why he couldn't pull his hands out anyways. But uh, he just stands there until the, the Yakuza lady walks up to him and then he spits in her face and then she shoots him in the, in the head. So that scene is just, once again, weird and doesn't make any real sense. But I guess they thought it looked cool when they were filming it. <laughs> Which is what 80s action movies was about. Does it look cool? Does it, does it have gun gunplay? Then, all right, leave it in. You know, that's what. That's and is the there still part. cocaine in the break room? <laughs> yes. Is there, who 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 left? Who didn't leave any cocaine in the break room? Um. Uh, however, talking about your uh, Punisher working with the, the mob, he does end up working with the last mob boss that's that's around because his son is the only. Well, I guess skipping that's skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, the the thespian sidekick that. Frank Castle has, has to remind him that he does uh, like protecting the innocents, so he needs to go and save the kids that have been kidnapped, even though their fathers are are the mob, these kids shouldn't have to be paying for that, so he makes it to where they're being held, but uh, they get away, the Yakuza get away with just one of the kids, the one that's the mob boss that hasn't been around, hasn't been in the country for the for the longest time because he, I don't know, I don't know if they're trying to imply that he doesn't want to be a part of the, the, the mafia anymore or what, but he hasn't, like they constantly say that he hasn't been doing his due diligence, he hasn't been uh, contributing to the family anymore. But he does show up because he had a court hearing, I believe, and uh, him and his son have a very close bond. So when his son gets kidnapped, he goes to Frank Castle and says, uh, look, you know, you need to help me get my son back. And then I, at some, for some reason, he's convinced to do it. But this is after he already saved the rest of the kids. And, and uh, they go to uh, the skyscraper that the Yakuza work out of. 
and it's this it's kind of the pre-raid scene <laughs> you know he's he's got to go four by four killing uh japanese mobsters until he gets to the top where our yakuza leader is dressed as a geisha and has a knife to the kid's neck but then the mob boss father is also there so he's shooting people and at the point that he's being blackmailed by the Yakuza lady to put the gun, his own gun in in his mouth and kill himself or else she's going to slit his son's throat. Yeah, it was very, um, all taking place in a very stereotypical dojo looking environment as well. <laughs> right. And very, the... very stereotypical Japanese because all the walls and doors are made out of paper instead of actual walls yeah. and doors, <laughs> except for the last yeah, one, although... which is glass because Frank Castle has to come crashing through a window and throws a knife as he's falling to the ground, and which then goes into the Yakuza lady's head to kill her and keep her from slicing the throat of the, the young boy. Now, was it just me, or did they have a slight homage to Enter the Dragon in this movie, where one of the rooms is like nothing but mirrors? <laughs> yeah, of course they did, because, you know, if you're making a movie that has Asian people, why not bring out one of the biggest Asian people movie that has ever been made? <laughs> <laughs> it's a new Instagram, just Asian things. Room of nothing but mirrors. <laughs> uh, and then, so he kills the, he kills the main bad guy. But then we have this whole tussle between Frank and I don't even know what the mob boss's name is at this point. It does. I mean, I don't know. It didn't. I didn't, I didn't catch it or what. But uh, you know, they, they're they're fighting over the gun. Frank wants to kill him. Or, you know, wants to let... I don't know. I think he's at first, like, I'm going to let him go. Uh, because he's pretty hurt at this point. He's been stabbed. He's been cut. He's been shot. He had to go up against the, the white ninja lady. And she stabbed him in the in the leg. So he's probably bleeding out from his femoral artery. And, you know, he he, he lets him go. But then the mob boss turns around and is like, either you're going to come after me later. Or when I give, you, give the whole empire to my son when he grows up, you're going to come after him. So I'm going to kill you now. And then the two of them fight, and then it's like he eventually, uh, you know, they're on the ground struggling over the gun, and he kills the mob boss. And the kid, he starts to walk away. The kid picks up the gun. He's about to shoot Frank. Frank's like, do it. Just shoot me. Get it all over with. Whatever. And the kid can't pull the trigger. So it's just, I don't understand, you know, what was the whole point? You have this kind of building up period of making this mob boss guy a good guy, and uh, you just end up making him a bad guy again in the end. Like I don't, I don't know if maybe test audience is like, well, no, he's a mob guy. He should have just been killed too. I, it, to have Frank kill him just seems to change the dynamic of the story. Sorry, my phone went mute there for a second. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I, um, I think they had a different ending planned, and they either had to reshoot it or change it due to uh, some kind of budgeting constraint or something. Um, I'm kind of butchering that now, but. Uh, yeah, I think it was supposed to be slightly different, and they just changed it to, well, now the mob boss is going to, um, I think Franco was his name, and um, he's like, well, they're going to have a turn where after they, you know, finally rescue the kid, he's going to turn on him, and then the kid is going to have the choice of whatever, you know, killing him or not, but... Uh, I don't believe that was the originally intended ending of that particular scene or situation. Mm. I think they just wanted to kind of punctuate it. Um, I think originally it was the, the 
the kid and the dad just kind of go away. It was like, all right, you go your way, I go my way, but it didn't really have any impact or something. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I think that's definitely what the movie was leading up to because it seems like the father's trying to redeem himself. He kind of has distanced, distanced, distanced himself away from the rest of the mob. He he loves his son, you know, kind of thing. And uh, it seems to me like the end of the movie should have been him being like, I'm going to turn my new leaf. I don't, you know, this, I almost got my son killed because of the life I live. I'm going to go ahead and uh, become a good guy. But he just they just kind of just get rid of that whole thing that that's been building up for this character arc and then have Frank kill him anyway. So, well, you know, what was the fucking point? What was the point indeed? It <laughs> could be said about the, the, the tagline of this movie. <laughs> so, okay, there you go. That's, that's the Punisher 1989, basically in a nutshell. Um, I guess I would say this is still better than like Captain America and Dr. Strange. So I would give it like, you know, give it a chance if you like eighties, shoot them up action movies if not then go and watch the tom's chain one or just wait for john berthanol's series to come out so uh there you go what would you say john i was gonna say i agree um as an 80s action movie it works as a punisher movie it's very disappointing (laughs) yeah so uh yeah just kind of take it for what it is it's uh kind of an interesting little time capsule of the late 80s when uh these movies kind of stopped getting made and you know pg-13 was the prevailing action genre yeah uh all right so go ahead and we'll skip on to our our next movie which was so bad (laughs) uh generation x made in 1996 which really baffles me because when i first started watching this i was like this had to have been earlier than 96 because this is like really bad but 1996 uh, gave us the TV... Uh, well, I guess Fox wanted to make a TV show uh, off of, basically because of the success of their animated uh, X-Men TV show, and they, they called it Generation X. And uh, it's involving a lot of the younger characters from the X-Men books, uh, at least in the 90s of that time, and... Uh, we have a few of the characters that we know, and they made up a few characters for the show, uh, just for the show, and uh, it was supposed to be, yeah, it was supposed to be a show, but I, I'm guessing the, the movie didn't quite hit it off the way that they expected it, so it, was, it just ended up being a uh, two-hour made-for-TV movie, um, which also I, I thought was very interesting, that it has a lot of, like, meta X-Men uh cameos or easter eggs in the movie as in like a uh video game x-men video game the big stan video game cabinets video game that a lot of us played in the arcades back when they had arcades and uh wolverine tv t-shirts in the movie so uh what did you think of this movie john oh man um where do i start with this one (laughs) uh yeah i remember seeing this movie back when it debuted on fox i remember being excited about it um you know oh cool an x-men tv show and then being very disappointed that like at the time i only recognized like three or four of the characters um and it didn't make any sense why they were there like um this was at a time where i wasn't really buying comics so i had no idea why emma frost aka the white queen was working with Banshee out of the uh, Xavier Mansion. 
and where all the X-Men were, I'm like, okay, so they're at the X-Mansion. Where is everybody? Why are, like, <laughs> only five people here? And um, coincidentally, I found out later on that it's the same mansion that they use in the X-Men movies, too. Right? Isn't that uh, pretty incredible? I thought, like, when I was watching this again last night, uh, I was like, that that is the exact same mansion that they use in the movies. Like, it's incredible. Which... Uh, it has to be said that that's also the same mansion that they used in Smallville for Lex Luthor, and it's the same mansion that they used for uh, Green Arrow in the Arrow TV show, the Oliver or the the Queen family. So that mansion gets rented out a lot. <laughs> that mansion gets around. Yeah, uh, yeah. The movie starts out, and this is one of the strangest things because it, it starts out at this nondescript college university where uh matt frewer who plays russell tretch basically our main villain in this movie he's doing an experiment on some kid that he's going to cut open his head and examine his brain even though the kid's still alive and he's a mutant uh and at the and to stop this from happening emma frost walks i almost said emma stone emma frost walks into the (laughs) or rushes into the place and uh, starts with, with, I'm guessing, the dean of the school and, like, starts yelling at him and says, well, how can you be doing this, blah, 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 blah. And then the cops walk in. After she lets the kid out of the bed uh, or the exam table, uh, the cops walk in and take the kid away to be arrested because he's a unregistered mutant because apparently in this timeline, uh, mutant registration has gone ahead and happened. Uh, even though in X-Men comic books, that's kind of the biggest story plot of whether or not that's going to happen. Um, and the, and Russell Tretch only gets, uh, suspended from the school or whatever you want to say. Like he get, he loses his job and Emma Frost is really upset about this to the point that she has, she conjures up some type of wind in the room and starts to, uh, like, blow the guys around which to me at the beginning of the movie i was like who's this character supposed to be because they don't really say her name and i was like her look of her looks like emma frost the white queen but the white queen's powers are just mental power she's a telepath eventually she gets the power to turn into diamond but uh she doesn't have any wind powers i was like is this supposed to be a white storm and then the only thing that i could explain it is that since she has such powerful telepathy powers or telepath powers, she just makes them think that there's a storm happening, a windstorm happening in the room. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever, whatever whatever helps justify the weirdness of what was happening. Yeah. Uh, the next scene is, uh, the introduction of Jubilee, which is almost is, is kind of the, the exact introduction to Jubilee that you have in the comic books. And also the one that you have in the nineties animated show, She's in an arcade, and her powers start to manifest as she's playing a video game. And as the, you know, as her powers manifest, and anybody who doesn't know who what Jubilee's powers are, she kind of has fireworks shoot off from her hands. It's not really all that powerful or that destructive. It's, I mean, for the longest time, she's kind of just used as the distraction uh, more than anything else. But, you know, you know it's Jubilee because she has her yellow jacket and sunglasses and uh punk look or whatever look that is that's the 90s look that she has and uh her powers start to uh manifest or uh, she uh, the the movie implies that she's known she's had powers for at least a couple years but she hasn't told anybody about it 
and as it happens, the cop, the security guards come to take her away because being a mutant is bad. Yeah. And as far as the way to describe her looks, I would say 90s is probably what they were going for. Well, that's what this whole show was going for. There's so much neon and pastel everywhere that my eyes started to bleed while watching this movie. It was so colorful and Dutch angles and and just, you know, oh my God, everything was so loud, like, like visually. It was just bad. Yeah. <laughs> Even the dark scenes looked like they were being lit by the guy from uh, Batman and Robin. Because uh, it would be a dark scene, but they'd be like these really stark neon green like lights on people's faces. <laughs> it just made no sense. So, speaking of Batman and Robin, we skipped to Batman Forever, which... <laughs> came out in 1997 but i think both of us even though we watched this separately came to the conclusion that matt frewer's character russell tretch who's basically becomes this dream lord uh in the movie uh because he can travel in people's dreams uh using technology seemed like he was channeling jim carrey's riddler (laughs) but that movie doesn't happen for another year so maybe jim carrey was channeling matt frewer from generation x i don't know it's just it's the first thing that came to mind, the way that he's playing this character is completely Jim Carrey. Like, it, it might even be Jim Carrey the mask, you know? Like, so far out there. Oh, there's there's traces of Fire Marshal Bill in there. Oh, that's Ace so Ventura. true. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, he's definitely doing a Jim Carrey Riddler a year before Jim Carrey did the Riddler. <laughs> I mean, he's got the loud neon suit, the the wacky dream machine. Um, I even like I even wrote down like he kills his boss the same way the Riddler kills his boss in Batman and Robin by <laughs> making him jump out a window. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? No. And I thought, okay, clearly this is aping the Riddler. But yeah, I looked it up and I was like, no, th- that actually came out later than this. <laughs> no, I think it, uh, it it's interesting to say that Matt Frewer, uh, you know, probably became most well known while playing. Uh, Max Hedrum uh, in early eighties, mid eighties, you know. I want to say mid eighties, mid eighties in the most eighties yeah. thing that you can probably create was which, which was Max Hedrum, uh, but he's also gone on to play Moloch in the Watchmen, and uh, I forget what his name was, but he was in Eureka as one of the scientists. You know, Matt Frewer has actually been around for a very long time, doing a lot of different character acting. Uh, and it's interesting to to just see him in this as this weird Jim Carrey esque character. Yeah, I was um, I made a note to myself to remember to look him up, and when I saw his IMDb page, I was like, "Holy crap! This dude's been working nonstop since like '83." Yeah, exactly. like he's a consummate working actor. There's like almost no gaps, you know, like '83, '84, '85, '86 to '87. Like he's doing something. Yeah, exactly. And he's one of those guys, like, he's been in big-budget movies, too. You know, he's been in, in some pretty popular stuff. But he's definitely more of a background guy. Like, I don't think he's ever yeah. had, like, a yeah, he's full-on... Yeah, he's, he's not the leading actor. He's usually the char- the side character or the character actor that, that, that shows up to play a certain person. Yeah, I forgot that he was the fa- the, the neighbor dad in... Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the one and, that's uh, just pissed off that he, you know, he's missing his uh, his camping trip that he's looking so forward right. to. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, he was also in, um, besides being Moloch in Watchmen, he also played a character in uh, the other Zack Snyder movie that was okay, uh, Dawn of the Dead. That's right. I, I forgot about that. He was in that. Yeah, he played that the dad of the redhead girl that ends up turning into a zombie. And uh, yeah, like, um, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him for just being such a hardworking actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but this particular role was just like head scratchingly bizarre <laughs> voice of uh, acting for it. Uh, yeah, just very head scratching. Well, talking about some of the other air, actors and characters in this movie. Uh, we so the characters that you that are actually in X Men comic books we have are Emma Frost, Sean Cassidy, Jubilation Lee or Jubilee, uh, Angelo Espinosa or Skin, um, Mondo, Arlie Hicks. No wait, Arlie Hicks. Yeah, Arlie Hicks uh, and uh, Monet Saint Croix or M. So uh, Emma Frost is played by Finola Hughes. And I know I've seen her in movies before. I, I couldn't tell you which one's off the top of my head. Sean Cassidy is played by Jeremy Ratchford. Uh, interesting. I mean, I think his biggest role after this would probably be uh, Cold Case, where he played one of the detectives. But he was also the voice of Sean Cassidy in the 90s animated TV show. Uh, oh, yeah. Jubilation Lee. Uh, is played by Heather McComb, who, if you look at her IMDb uh, list, is it looks like she's in, been in a lot of uh, episodes of different TV shows. She's one of those actresses that goes from show to show to play a character in one episode and, and goes to the next. So, you know, a lot of crime dramas, a lot of things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two characters that were added for this um, TV show was Refrax or Kurt Pistorius. And Buff, which was Arlie Hicks. That's what. That's right. So Arlie Hicks was uh, added for the TV show, uh, which was played by Suzanne Davis. And then uh, Refrax was played by Randall Slavin, which I don't think I've ever seen them in anything before. Uh, you have Monet, or yeah, Monet Saint Croix or M, which was played by Aurelia Amaryllis. I don't know how you say her name. Uh, and one of the scenes that she, one of her mainly only talking scenes in the whole movie she explains to jubilee what her powers are and and that basically basically she is one of the more powerful mutants out there she goes on for probably about i don't know it felt like half an hour about all of her different powers the funny thing is that if you look her look up the character of uh monet saint croix in wikipedia she doesn't even give off all the powers that that character actually has she is one of the most powerful mutants out there because she is so powered up like she has you know advanced fighting skills and all kinds of other stuff it's just it's it's crazy the one and yet you know you don't really see too many stories about uh monet in in the x-men and the last one is mondo which you know he's kind of just a ripoff of absorbing man and uh whatever he touches his skin takes on those attributes other than looking like it like he touch in the movie he touches a rock so he be- his his skin becomes rock hard yet he it doesn't look like a rock or anything like that so when the guy punches him in the chin he breaks his hand um but it's played by Bumper Robinson who if you look at his IMDb uh list he's credited as having over 130 different roles and he 
as used as a voice actor more often than not for a lot of things, including playing, uh, doing the voice of War Machine and Falcon in a bunch of different things, and, and Ben Ten characters uh, for a lot of different cartoons. So he's he's done a lot of work too. Yeah, I looked him up too because I was like, I remember this guy from something, and he's been in a lot of sitcoms. I remember him from Hanging with Mr. Cooper. That's funny. That's the exact one that I remembered him from too when yeah. I was watching this. And he was he's been on Family Matters and a bunch of other ones. But yeah, I was like shocked when I saw like just how much voice work he's done. I'm like, all right, dude, you kept with the the superhero thing. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's even in, like, Fallout 4 and Halo and all kinds of other stuff. So, yeah, he's, oh, yeah, yeah. he's, he's, done a lot he's of still voice. working, yeah. yeah it's, it's incredible. Uh, so, like, we talked about uh, uh, Emma Frost's powers. We talked about Jubilee's powers. Sean Cassidy's powers, he's more widely known as uh, Banshee. And he uses his, he has a voice scream, basically. Uh, it's a sonic power that allows him to also fly. However, they don't ever have him fly in this movie because I'm guessing the special effect for that would cost a little too much, more more than they were willing to spend. Uh, Angelo Espinoza, also known as Skin. If you look up his power, uh, it basically says that he has six feet of extra skin that he can stretch out, including his appendages. And... They obviously went a little bit further with that in the movie because he's more like Mr. Fantastic than anything else. And the first few times they show him using his powers, he's he's screaming like as if he's in pain. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I wasn't sure what exactly his power was because I remember them saying he can stretch, but like just barely because it wasn't really useful. No. And then uh, it looked like he had to be stretched. Like it, it didn't look like he had like he could control it at will. Like make himself longer. He had to be pulled apart in order to stretch. Until he doesn't. At and some t- point, he's then able to, without any explanation, actually like control his power. Himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even like at the very beginning, his introduction of, of his character, his sister, like he's he's saying goodbye to his family as they're dri- they're supposed to be driving to Xavier's school or whatever. His sister grabs his hand to say goodbye, and he he drives away, but she's still holding on to his hand, and he's screaming in pain, and his sister's kind of just sitting there with a smile on her face, like it's a younger sister, and holding his hand, and the rest of the family's like, let go, let go, let go, and he's he's just, she doesn't do it. It's like, what kind? What are you trying to say about the sister here? She's reveling in his pain. Yeah, she might have uh, been a, a mutie hater. <laughs> kind of like... Uh... Iceman's brother in uh, X-Men United or whatever that one was. True. I, I could definitely see that. <laughs> uh, Kurt Pastorius or Refrax in this movie because it couldn't just be called Refrax. He had to be Refrax with an X because it's the 90s and we like to put X's in things. It's more extreme. <laughs> uh, he basically was kind of a weird knockoff of Cyclops. He has, uh, he shoots out, uh, he, he tries to explain his power that he has the ability to shoot some type of fire laser beam out of his eyes, but then he also is able to see x-ray, like x-ray things, they see through things. Uh, I'm guessing at some point he's probably going to, uh, have, be able to see things in all the different visual spectrums, uh, but at very early in the movie, Arlie, or Buff, uh, it says it's not true. He doesn't have X-ray vision. 
because uh, if he did, I'd kick his ass. And he, we do see him use the the heat vision or laser vision or fire vision or whatever the hell you want to call it at one point. And he wears his sunglasses all the time. So at to me, I mean, obviously gives you this whole idea that he's he's supposed to be like Cyclops. Until he takes his sunglasses off, because he's 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 shown as wearing them inside, he's shown as wearing them at night. Until he takes them off, and nothing happens until he wants it to happen. So I was just like, is he just wearing the sunglasses because he's that that guy who wears sunglasses all the time? Yeah, I thought what they were trying to say with that is that even though he doesn't need to wear glasses to control it, that his eyes still look kind of weird, so he just kind of does it to hide it. Uh. But but it, I, I couldn't tell for sure if they were trying to make his eyes look a little different or if that was just a special effect they were using when he was like shooting his laser blast, whatever it was. Yeah. I don't know. That's uh, once again, it was not really explained and it's all kind of just jumbled. And, you know, obviously they want you to think of Cyclops, uh, Mondo. We explained his power of being able to absorb different surfaces Arlie Hicks, buff. They don't really explain what her power is. They kind of just explain what her mutation is, that her muscular uh, physiology is constantly changing, and so it makes her her body look weird, and that's why she wears all these uh, real frumpy clothes that it's real loose on her and doesn't show off her body because she's real uh, self-conscious about it. And the one scene where her and Jubilee are at the mall and they're trying on different clothes and Jubilee walks in on her, in the dressing room. Uh, it, you can obviously see that it's two different actresses, but like the, the actress playing Arlie Hicks, Suzanne Davis is taking her sweatshirt off. And then all of a sudden you see her back in the scene in that shot. And then they cut to another shot where it's a giant buff lady with a bra on just from the back. And she's got all these rippling muscles and stuff. And, and for some reason, Jubilee just gets all freaked out by it. And, and Ar- and uh, Arlie just like, why? Why did you walk in here? You're supposed to knock. Uh, you know, and then they even make a comment about, uh, it's not like, it's just something about the, I thought I locked the door or you should have locked the door. But it's obviously a curtain. You know, you can't really <laughs> lock a curtain. It, it's right there. It. Yeah. So uh, just a weird scene in general. Well, I'm guessing that the idea is supposed to be that she's so buff that it looks kind of gross, I guess. But, I mean, how do you show that in live-action, low-budget situation? Right. You just get somebody who is buff and just kind of pretend that it's gross-looking, I guess? Which is fine, but if they would have shot it better, it would you would have seen her about to take the shirt off and then you would have showed the buff body instead of her already take the shirt off you see the skinny body and then they cut to a shot of a buff body it doesn't make any sense well it was made for tv (laughs) (laughs) Uh, actually i did have another thing to add that given that this was made for tv i mean like i said i remember watching it back in the day on fox you know and like it aired once and then never heard from it again until you know we started researching to do these kinds of things um, I was kind of surprised that there was a scene where Jubilee just out of nowhere just drops the F-bomb. <laughs> she, not just once, but twice, as well as saying shit in that exact same sentence, which I also found very funny because I remember I was looking down at my phone at that exact moment that scene was happening, <laughs> and she goes, what the fuck would I want to stay here in this fucking shithole? And I was just like, what the hell? I just looked up and I was like, this is, that's incredible. So doing a little yeah. bit of research on that, apparently that was from the version that was released in the UK. Ah. Uh. 
So, you know, over there, they're not so uh, censored uh, on their television shows or, or whatever. And, and that was and that's the version that we watched was the UK version. Yeah, that explains a lot. Because I was going to say, holy crap, did they say that on TV back then? Maybe that's why it got canceled or something. But, like, I, similar to you, I was, I was doing something else. I, I was starting to like, just like get drowsy watching this because I watch these things really late at night. And then when that happened, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me rewind that. <laughs> I even put subtitles on and it, does, it was exactly that. And I'm like, holy crap, like. Uh, how did they get away with this back then? Did they, did they censor it? And I was like, oh, and I guess it was a different version. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that the, that whole like uh, thing was either dubbed over or uh, just cut in, in general for the American audiences. But yeah, you're right. That's uh, was very it was very out of left field scene. So it, it really caught me. It was uh, jarring. <laughs> it was very jarring. Yes, exactly. Because you're not expecting it at all. It's kind of like the. Uh, the the uh, Transformers the movie the the animated movie when out of nowhere Spike just says uh, shit I believe right or does he say yeah yeah it's like oh shit yeah yeah and it's just like in the middle of the the cartoon which I mean it's very appropriate because he's about to die but it's just out of out of nowhere for a cartoon movie and you're like wait what what just happened back when uh, cartoons had balls <laughs> uh so uh, once again, uh, Skin doesn't uh, doesn't really like using his powers until he does, uh, but he is completely girl obsessed, and he is very obsessed with finding out where this this thing that Emma Frost talks about early in the movie about mutants having this innate ability to dream travel, dream walk, whatever you want to say, it. I, for, which is brand new to me. I've never heard about this in any of the X-Men comic books of just every mutant. Oh, you've has never this. heard about the mutant dream walking thing they do? Yeah, that they're just innately able to do. Uh, so he wants to do this because he finds it as a way to escape his life, uh, which to me just didn't really make sense because you're just going to come right back to it. It doesn't make any, you know, why don't you just leave? You really don't like it. It's not like there's an armed guard keeping you there. Uh, but, uh, he, he, he shows off his hacking skills. So, you know, this is the nineties. So we have to have a hacking scene in the movie and, uh, he, he's able to take out the X mansions, uh, computer defenses easily by, you know, just typing in some keystrokes and being like, Oh, this is the one I learned from, from trying to, find all my homies emails it's like what what are you talking about here and uh he he gets in and he finds out that there's a dream machine in a forbidden area of the school and he goes and uses it and that's where he finds matt fuhrer's character of russell tretch and uh he kind of makes a deal with him and then this is i mean a bigger part of the movie is that because uh, Angelo keeps talking about how don't take me out of the machine before I'm ready to come out of the machine because then my consciousness will get stuck in the dream world while my body's out here. And that what happens to Matt Fuhrer's character uh, over in his lab. The, the cops come to arrest him and he uh, is taken out of the machine before he's ready. So his consciousness is in the dream world while his body is in the physical world. And 
he starts to get on Angelo's case to be like, I need you to go and put my body back into the machine so I can reconnect with my body. And at this point, I'm like, why? You have the creation of a supervillain right now. And that's obviously what you want to be as a supervillain. Now you get to live forever as an immortal in the dream world. Why would you want to be connected to your body, which is fragile and could die and stuff? It, it, to me, it didn't make any sense. Like, just now you get to travel through dreams, manipulate people any way you want. You can uh, put your messages in their head just like you've been doing, and, and you'd be perfect. But you want to get back to, into your body. I don't understand that. Well, it's probably no fun to do all that stuff but not be able to, like, actually profit from it i guess what would you need profit for what do you need money for you're in the dream world you can do anything it's your imagination you can manipulate world leaders by traveling to their dreams and making them do whatever you want well to be fair the dream world did look kind of boring it's like all black with like a few white kind of cloudy roads that lead to a bright light or something (laughs) i guess that's true uh however it is limited only by the dreamer's imagination (laughs) i mean it should be and there's one point where he's like flapping his hands like he's flying but he's just walking around it's like you literally should be able to make yourself fly because it's a dream and then that was another thing was like uh uh, what's his name? Uh, Angelo uses his power in the dream world, which you're then using physical attributes in a metaphysical world. So it doesn't make any sense on the way any of this stuff is working. They even send in the whole Generation X team to fight Russell Tretch in the dream world using his their physical powers. It, uh, it's like none of that should be working that way. Like I don't understand. <laughs> I know the ma- I know yeah. the Matrix hadn't happened yet, but come on, we could have figured this stuff out. Maybe it was uh, a dream world where you're limited by your physical reality. I guess. <laughs> well, then they needed to learn to expand their minds. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, uh, to put it this way, the, in order to um, for Tresh to demonstrate the power of his dream machine. He explains to the the board that he's trying to pitch it to that uh, I had programmed all of you to to pass gas at exactly the same time, which they do. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa! I don't remember this at all. Like, this it is, is a really elaborate fart joke. Yeah, it's a three minute fart joke. It's horrible. <laughs> like the whole board is just passing gas, and oh, it's so bad. I mean, yeah, it could just be that uh, maybe they just didn't really know what to do within their dreams, you know? Like, oh, I know what's a good idea. I'll make everybody fart at the same time. <laughs> that's that. That's really, like, that was the best he could have done. I mean, he could have programmed them all to start talking in a different language that they never knew before or, you know, something different, nope, he, more interesting. He, he wanted to make them all fart, which, I mean, I guess sticks with his characterization because he's... He's basically just an overgrown child uh, who just wants whatever he wants and can't understand why he can't get it. There's uh, the point where, uh, you know, even though he has this dream machine that can do whatever he wants, do almost essentially whatever he wants, the the thing that he really wants is a mutant brain so that he can, uh, you know, cut it open, extract the X factor from the brain, 
and then uh, use it to whatever he wants to use it for. I don't know if he wants to incorporate it into his own brain or what. I mean, that, and that's what this this movie implies is that the X factor is located in your brain, not in your DNA like all the comic books say, but in your brain somewhere. Well, if if I understood it correctly, he was obsessed with mutants because the dream machine didn't really work on them or not so much the dream machine, but the subliminal messaging thing that he was trying to do to get people to buy products. Because during one of the board meetings, he was like, yeah, I, uh, or not board meeting. I think he was just at the, he was at the mall watching over the arcade. Right. And he was talking to somebody saying how like, yeah, I can make somebody play more virtual fighter uh, by by putting in subliminal messages, and then Jubilee's playing Virtual Fighter, which at this point I realized, okay, this must be some kind of product placement because this is a very specific title. Very and specific. It's very, yeah, and it's very prominently featured in there. So I'm thinking, uh, okay, well, there must be a deal with Sega, first of all. And second, they make a point to say that mutants can see past the subliminal messages because that's what triggers Jubilee's first... Uh, like outburst, I guess, is she's playing Virtual Fighter. She's really into it, like a little too into it. And she starts to see a, a really bad video of uh, Tresh's face saying, play more Virtual Fighter, play more Virtual Fighter, something like that. Yeah. And uh, she's kind of like, she can see it, but she's not really reacting to it. She's just like obsessively p- pressing the buttons. Yeah, which to me yeah. says that even though she can see it, and I guess that's what he, he, it's what he says is that mutants can see the see the, the subliminal messages, She it's still working on her. She's still playing. She's playing more, obsessively even. Yeah, to the point where her power, like you said, manifests itself and she starts to spark all over the place. And um, yeah, so I think that's what it was. Like He just wanted mutant brains to be able to understand more about how he could just become a better subliminalist, I guess. Yeah. So. But, yeah. It was, <laughs> the whole premise was pretty weak to begin with, and wow, yeah, I wasted that much time watching it again. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, that, that we come to the end of the movie is is the big battle scene between Trash and the rest of the X Men, and. Even though he has no powers and obviously doesn't understand how to manipulate the dream world, he puts up a good fight against the rest of the X-Men, or these Generation X characters, I should say, uh, to the point that they really aren't able to do anything until uh, when Emma Frost makes her way into the dream. That she... See, I didn't really understand this, is that his... The, uh, Angelo's body should be in the lab, Tresh's lab somewhere, and they're all in the mute. They're in the dream world, but then they open a door that you're supposed to be going into. But then they're not in the dream world, but they are in the dream. I don't know. The, the whole final scene doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I don't know where where the cut was supposed to be or what, but uh, the scene makes no sense at all. And then Emma Emma's. Frost shows up and then basically makes him go into a catatonic state again. Yeah. uh, I guess they were laying the seeds for what the series was supposed to become, but alas, it was not to be because I don't know what was going on there. Now, it's an interesting thing to note about Emma Frost's powers. Um, I was recently rewatching Pride of the X-Men. 
just for funsies. Right. And in that movie, Emma Frost can make, like, psychic lightning. Wow. Yeah, like, she forms a bolt in her hand, and it looks like a lightning bolt, and it, and, and she can throw it, so, and it causes damage. <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, I, so yeah. So they kind of basically merged her with uh, Psylocke a little, because Psylocke can make her Psyblade? I think so, yeah. I think that's kind of what they were going for. Just, uh, I guess it's just hard to represent that she has telepathic powers. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's true. I mean... It's the whole, all you can really do is stick your hand to your head and thus psychic powers, but... And stuff happens. Although they do do that once in the show, at least. Uh, they go in to rescue Jubilee from prison or from jail early on. Right. And she she does basically like the Doctor Who psychic paper thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, we're here to pick up Jubilee, and like I forget what names they say, but I think there was supposed to be something funny about oh, it. Oh, it was Hootie and the Blowfish. We're Agent Hootie oh, and Agent Blowfish, was. yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so they—that's <laughs> how they take her out of there and take her to to the Xavier Mansion. Which I'm kind of wondering how exactly they explain that to the parents that their kid all like just left prison. Oh no, they, to be found. they talk to the par- the mother at the very be- right before they go into the into the jail. It's her and Cassidy basically convincing oh, the mother to let okay. let them take uh, Jubilee to the the school. And and that's why she's so like Jubilee's so upset because uh, the mom just said, uh, "Yeah, go ahead and take my daughter." Like she doesn't understand that it was for the best because otherwise she was going to go to a mutant registration camp. Yeah, that's right, and that's true. It's uh, in a world where the mutant registration seems to be in full effect. Uh, you still have references to the X Men, like. Their celebrities or something, you know, with uh, the X Men arcade in the background and mm-hmm. the Wolverine shirts. Mm-hmm. It's so like glorifying criminals or you know the persecuted. Mm. It's kind of weird. Then I mean, then and then we get to the whole idea that it's it, it's it's still called Xavier's home or Xavier School for the for gifted children, and we don't we don't see Xavier. Uh, we don't see any of the other X Men. We don't see any other students in the school. I mean, it's these six students, and that's it. Uh, at one point, they all six students are fighting for the bathroom, yet we see the exterior of the, the place is a giant castle mansion. You can't tell me there's not another bathroom in the whole fucking place. Uh, well, they had to clear them all out to make room for that American Gladiators danger room. <laughs> yeah. Which, if it wasn't for the fact that... that uh, it happened to be Mondo that touches the the steel uh, material and turns himself into steel, makes himself steel hard or whatever you want to call it. The, that uh, swinging log would have killed anybody else. Like that's a little bit too much for a teenager to be involved in. Yeah, definitely. And like you could tell, they were really stretching their budget by including one of those. Uh, anti-gravity things that were popular in the 90s you like climb in on and it's basically just a giant gyroscope you spin with your body yeah (laughs) all right uh i think we're pretty done talking about this movie it's it's horrible don't watch it that's my opinion uh the 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 bright lights and pastel colors and neon all over the place literally makes your eyes hurt and uh it's the dialogue just makes your ears bleed so 
uh, my opinion is don't watch it. How about yourself, John? Um, if you're just like a glutton for punishment and you want to see some really bad cinematography and, and weird acting choices as a way of what not to do in a movie, uh, yeah, give it a shot. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, no, it's it's not entertaining, really. It's, it's boring as hell. Um, and there's pretty much no redeeming value to it no none 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 whatsoever there's there's better x-men stuff out there now obviously so go watch that instead uh however yeah. would i like them to redo a or to do a generation x movie sure i would love it i mean two characters that they definitely didn't have in this was uh from the generation x comic book was chamber who has his the lower part of his mouth is is completely on fire and husk which is a girl that can rip off the top layer of her skin so that whatever layer that's next is whatever she wants it to be. Could it be rubber? It could be steel. It could be diamond, whatever, but she can constantly just rip off her skin, which is a very interesting character. Uh, other than that, this, you know, this has been a very long episode. We went for two hours, uh, much longer than we anticipated, but I, I, I'm glad that we did because I think these are interesting movies and it's all leading up to something. Uh, this basically we decided to do this uh, MCU that could have been because of the announcement of Doomed, the a, a documentary called Doomed, which is all about the making of the 1994 Fantastic Four movie by Roger Corman that never got released, but was made basically so that uh, Fox could keep the rights to Fantastic Four. Um, a tradition that continues. A tradition that continues. And uh, that documentary will be coming out soon, much in the same way that they had a uh, whatever happened to Superman Lives. Oh, the death and what is it? The uh, the death of Superman Lives. Yeah, something like that. So uh, we will be watching that documentary. We will also watch the 1994 Fantastic Four movie because you can find it on YouTube, I believe. And yeah. uh, we will have that for you next. Week. I want to point out, so far, all the movies that we've watched are available on YouTube for free. So if this you is true. feel the need to, they're there. They're there. You just have to search them out. <laughs> so, uh, what did your? What's your opinion? Have you guys watched these movies? Have you uh, uh, gone? Have you treached through the MCU that could have been? We'd love to hear from you. I am on Twitter at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Uh, John, I am at magic bollocks. And uh, we can also find uh, Geek Elite Radio on Twitter as at Geek Elite Radio. Uh, most of our conversation, though, is done on Facebook, where the rest of the community has chimes in and talks to us about what they are geeking out about. Just look us up as Geek Elite Radio on Facebook. And then check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, where you can find archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Uh, but until next time, this has been the Geeks Watch on Geek Elite Radio. Saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.